Welcome to the Voice of Prophecy's newest program, Disclosure. I'm Jean Boonstra, and I will be your host for today's program. Now, my guest is someone that you're familiar with, and someone I've spent more than half my life with, and that is my husband, oh, Sean. Oh, poor lady. Half your life, really? More than half my life. More than half life. your life with me. Wow. Yeah, and I'm just a youngster, so what does that say? Yeah, that's only <laughs> 10 years, right? Yeah. Because you're 20, it was your 20th birthday last week. Thank it's you. It's been your 20th birthday for 35 years, but it's been your... <laughs> I'll give you 21. How's that sound? <laughs> well, Sean, today we're going to talk about something that you may or may not have wondered about you listening. Flying saucers and yeah. the alien phenomenon. This is not something you hear every day on a Bible program. We are going to talk about it. We are, and I think it is a bit of a strange topic. I agree for a Bible-based radio program. I'm sure, Sean, that those listening are wondering what yeah, we're right. about to do. Right. Where are we going to go with flying? <laughs> you know, if this was an episode of Sesame Street, today's episode would be brought to you by the letters U, F, and O. That's, that's <laughs> our show today. Sean, let me ask you. Why are we talking about this? Right. You know, I've known you long enough to know that this is a topic that you are interested in. Yeah, so, I'll admit it. I'll admit <laughs> you'll it. You'll admit it right but out the gate, here, right? Here's here's why. Here's why we're going to talk about it on a Bible show, because there's just no question, even in the 21st century, with our day of rationality and science, it's still one of the most talked about subjects in the world today. And all you have to do to see how much interest there is, is go to the entertainment industry. Go to Netflix, go to Amazon, go to the movie, well, don't go to the movie theater, but look at the movie theater offerings. The X-Files has got a, a remake. It's coming back out because it was so wildly popular. Now, it dealt with spiritualism and Bigfoot and other things, but UFOs were kind of the underlying theme and space aliens. If I'm not mistaken, in 2016, Independence Day is putting out a sequel, and of course that was the movie originally where Flying Saucers blew up the White House. Star Wars just had a, a new release. Um, number 7, the largest grossing movie of all time. If you go to Netflix, there are TV series like Dark Sky, and Under the Dome, and even the History Channel. I mean, the History Channel should be history, but what's one of their number one programs? It's Ancient Aliens, this idea that this world had... I mean, I'm ashamed of the History Channel, frankly. I mean, I would like to go there and see some real history, but it's Ancient Aliens. And so there's huge interest, and I've been watching it thinking, why so much interest? Well, you know, that's a good question, Sean. I've noticed that, too. The reboot of X-Files, for example. You know, why? Well, there must have been huge interest in right. the, the original series. Why is there so much interest in this topic? Well, I think if you go back through history and you look at historical records, especially in Western civilization, you'll notice that these kinds of things have always been interesting. And they may not have uh, come down to flying saucers and little green men, but every society historically has looked for something bigger than itself. Esoteric subjects have always been big. In the Celtic society, it was fairies and leprechauns. Up in Scandinavia, it's... Uh, dwarves and gnomes and so on. The Arabs had the jinn or the genies. And so there's always been this interest in something outside of humanity, outside mm -hmm. of our human race that's maybe bigger and a little more magical than, than we are. And people use those stories to try and explain human existence and try and explain the things in this world that we can't explain. But I think we can go deeper than that because I think there's a biblical reason there's interest in this stuff. Mm -hmm. If you look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there's this profound statement in verse 11 where it says that God has put eternity in the human heart. 
And what that means is that there is something hardwired into the human brain, into the human heart, that instinctively looks for something bigger than self, bigger than our own mundane human existence. Now, that verse is really talking about death. We've got eternity in the heart, and so every time somebody dies, something inside of us starts screaming, no, no, that's wrong, right? So we sense that that's that's just not right, that there's something bigger outside of us. There's this hardwired sense that there's got to be more to this world than just living and dying. And so every time somebody dies, to you know, my apologies to the, the poet Dylan Thomas, we rage, rage against the dying of the light. But Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, I think, goes further than just protesting against death and mortality. When human beings step outside at night, and they don't do that near as much as they used to. I mean, we used to go outside and look up at the night sky, and now we stay inside and and look at, well, I would say cathode ray tubes, but that would really date me, <laughs> that right? Would you know, date you. No, we look at our yeah. flat screens and our, and, our, and our iPhones and so on. Sure. But when we used to go outside and look up at the night sky, it fills almost every human being with a sense of awe. And I'd encourage everybody, if you haven't done it in a while, step outside, look up at the stars at night, go to a drive out of town if you have to, and look at it. You get this hardwired sense of awe, and we all understand there's got to be something out there bigger than us. Uh, Psalm 8, the psalmist expresses it beautifully. It's Psalm 8 and verse 3. He's looking up at the night sky, and he says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? Hmm. The cosmos makes us feel very small. Like, who hasn't felt that, staring up and seeing the vastness of this universe? And when you stand there long enough, you begin to wonder, are we really alone down here? Mm-hmm. Is there a meaning to our existence? I mean, if we are alone, that's very lonely. Here we are on this tiny blue marble. There's that famous Carl Sagan quote he put to a NASA picture, this tiny blue dot. That's us. If that's it, sure. if that's that's really lonely. But if we aren't alone, that's kind of exciting. And then you start to wonder, well, what is out there? So there's big general interest in the idea that there might be something out there. So getting an understanding of death and why we die, trying to grasp the vastness of the universe, that's a really good explanation of why there's a general interest in this subject, I agree. But, Sean, I still have to ask, why are you interested? Okay, why am I interested? Just for the record, I do not believe that we are being visited by little green men. I just I just don't. And I know we'll, well get some good. letters from people who do believe, and that, that's fine. I'd encourage you to hear out the whole show and visit us on the website. I'll give what I think are compelling reasons why I don't believe, but it is still fascinating to me, the whole phenomenon. Now, as a little kid, I was really interested, right? The moon landing's 1969, mm-hmm. and I'm born in 1969. I am actually in vitro as men are landing on the moon. I was there. I was at the moon landing in a little party <laughs> watching. I'm just in the womb, and they're all watching on my dad's birthday in 1969. Yeah, that's right. It's your right. dad's birthday. So yeah. every kid in the 1970s wants to be an astronaut. Astronaut, absolutely. Yeah, I want to go to the moon, and then I start wondering: well, Is there life on those other planets? Is there life on Saturn? I I don't understand that Saturn's a gas giant, and you can't even set foot on it. But I begin to wonder, and so I start to watch TV. And TV okay. is where a lot of us get bad ideas. But Space 1999 was this British TV show about a group of British astronauts. I don't know that there ever were any British astronauts, but there's a group of British astronauts. Space 1999. There's a British astronaut now. There is a Brit. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Space they had a moon base. They had built a base on the moon and then there's some kind of an accident nuclear explosion and the moon drifts away from planet earth and goes through space and they're traveling through space on an untethered moon and a lot and star wars 1977 sure that was huge yeah close encounters of the third kind 1977 this is my childhood Mm -hmm. star trek 1960s 1970s right remember the trouble with tribbles and captain kirk and all the little fuzzy creatures that keep multiplying because what did they water them i don't remember how yeah he didn't obey instruct no maybe that was the gremlins whatever it was but it kept my imagination alive. And then, and then, 
I'm in this tiny little town in northern British Columbia. Okay. And suddenly there's a story in the newspaper that one town over, they'd seen a UFO. Mm -hmm. And they drew a picture. Artists drew a picture. Not a very good picture. We're a small town, not very many artists. But there's this picture of this triangle-shaped ship, or what some people in the UFO literature would call a delta-shaped ship, after the Greek letter delta, shaped like a triangle. And that really, now suddenly all the kids at school were claiming they'd seen a UFO too. We've all seen one. We've all had a first encounter. Some had second encounters of the close kind. Nobody claimed they were abducted. There were no third encounters. So there's that. And then, and then this show comes on the air, Project Blue Book. Now, that was a show in the 70s, Yeah, it's a show in the 70s. I don't remember that one. I I will admit, I I have no memory. Now, Project Blue Book was a real government study. It was a real government study. After the 1940s, in the wake of you know what happened in Roswell, New Mexico, people claimed something crashed into the ground and so on. The American government started to investigate all the claims of UFO sightings, and they looked at more than 12,000 sightings over the next 20 years. The study ended in about 1969, about the year that I'm born. Mm-hmm. They found nothing. They found no legitimate sighting of a UFO in all those studies. However, Hollywood looks at that, and that's too good to pass up. Well, so they made a TV series in the 1970s, and did that ever scare me? So that's the problem. Project Blue Book Project Show. Project Blue Book okay. Show. Now, I wasn't interested in the government project. It was the TV show. And I went cruising on YouTube. you got to hear this. I want you to hear how the show started. I found it. And I'll have our, our producer, Ruben, uh, fire up that audio clip. I, it's on YouTube. You can find Project Blue Book. Listen to this, how this show opened, because this is how our Bible study is going to begin today. Go ahead and run that. Ezekiel saw the wheel. This is the wheel he said he saw. These are unidentified flying objects that people say they are seeing now. Are they proof that we are being visited by civilizations from other stars? Or just what are they? The United States Air Force began an investigation of this high strangeness in a search for the truth. What you are about to see is part of that 20 year search. Okay, well, that that just wasn't true. They made up stories. Project Blue Book never actually found something. But I, I was glued to that show, and it scared me. I'd have nightmares at night about these aliens that might be looking through my window. That's that's fascinating. I totally missed that. But, of course, you know, I didn't exist in the 70s if I'm only 20. But, Sean, you know you know what's interesting is uh, this summer we drove through uh, from our home here in Colorado to Texas, and we drove through New Mexico. Right. And there's a lot of wide open territory, a lot of vast open space. And what I found really interesting is just outside of Roswell, New Mexico, there is what used to be Walker Air Force Base. It's now closed, but it opened in 1941. How fascinating that three miles from from Roswell is is an Air Force Base. Yeah, almost always. Mm -hmm. Um, And and we'll come to that before we're done today. Um, But you were asking, you know, what what got everything in the 1970s, it's an all-time high, and Mm -hmm. and people are looking at this stuff, and then in a garage sale. And this is what's going to lead to our Bible study today. I promise you we'll get to the Bible. I found a copy, an old weathered copy, of Eric von Daniken's Chariots of the Gods. Now, that book was huge. Oh, it was huge. It was really big, right? Mm -hmm. I probably found it in a flea market, and I hid it from my parents. I didn't want them to know I was reading it. I'm just a little kid. And the whole theory was the real story of human history is that God was an alien, an astronaut 
astronaut from another world who came to this planet a long time ago and planted life here or at least took the life that was here and turned it into the human race. People today would call that the panspermia theory, and there's actually a um, there's actually a serious school of thought that says maybe another civilization visited us and put the human race here. Eric von Daniken did that, and um, and what was interesting is he couldn't help himself. He began to tie his conclusion that maybe God was an ancient astronaut to some of the things that he saw in the Bible. Interesting. Now, von Daniken was not a theologian. No, he was not, not even a close. scientist. No, he's an entertainer if he's anything. <laughs> yes, and um, but that book, that book was incredibly popular in the 1970s. I find it fascinating that you talked about Sean while you were still in utero. There's this <laughs> landing on on the moon, yeah, that's and right. then this theory comes out. It's so tied to what was happening at that sure, time. Sure, and we're in a space race against the Russians, right. and and so it's on everybody's mind. And what's remarkable to me, and we'll get to this a little bit, hopefully, if we have time today, is how all of the encounters actually parallel the mythology of Europe back in the in the middle centuries. Eric von Daniken, I think you can still find his show on Netflix. There's the old chariot. They made a movie, Chariots of the Gods, feature film. Uh, Christian parents, do not let your kids watch it. I don't want you to pollute your kids' minds with non-biblical ideas. But this was the reality in the 70s. God is an astronaut, and uh, he begins to discount the Bible. I don't think that is by accident. So I know that we're going to have to take a break pretty quick here, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. We, we are. Yeah. We've just started getting into the Bible. Right. But, but, but I want to get to Eric Van Daniken. I want to point out two things in particular that stuck in my mind, and that's going to give us our Bible study for today. Excellent. Well, I'm glad we are going to get to the Bible because we've had a fascinating discussion yeah. talking it's about... It's all little green men so far. <laughs> right. And, and it's interesting. People are interested in this topic. Sean, you personally have shown interest in this topic, but we are going to pause for just a minute to take that in important break, we want to tell you about something really special that Voice of Prophecy has available to you if you want to study some more. I'm Jean Boonstra. I'm your host today on Disclosure. Stay with us. We will be right back. Born under the cloud of illegitimacy, his real father, far more powerful than anyone could imagine, the unlikely king who ignited a global movement, the world forever changed, his legacy, an empire reaching across centuries, his name, Constantine, shadow empire, changing the way you think, the way you live, and even the way you believe, war, power, Influence, a battle for your mind in the name of religious freedom. A legendary story, a warning for today. Shadow Empire, starting April 28th. Exclusive footage from the land where it all started. Conspiracy, secrecy, your future. ShadowEmpire.com. Find a location near you. Shadow Empire, it's not what you've been told. Welcome back 
Step to Disclosure, the newest program brought to you by the Voice of Prophecy. I'm Jean Boonstra, co-host of this program, and today I'm interviewing someone you're familiar with, our host, my husband, Sean Boonstra. Now, Sean, we've been having a great discussion so far. We've talked about... People are wondering, is this an episode of Coast to Coast, or is this the Voice of Prophecy? It is the Voice of Prophecy. It is the Voice of Prophecy. We've talked about the interest in alien phenomena. We just started talking about the book that was wildly popular in the 1970s, Chariots of the Gods. 1960s and 70s. 60s and 70s. I think it published in 68, so you are correct. So tell me a bit more about this. Well, here, here, when you go into the book, it's it's amazing. He begins to – all these people can't help themselves. The UFO cults, the people that get into this stuff, they end up having to reckon themselves with the Bible because obviously the Bible is the most influential book in the history of the world, and they, they start to tie things back. So what Von Däniken did was go back to the Old Testament, and he looks at some of the furniture in the sanctuary, and he notices, hey, God gave very specific instructions to Moses, which is true. right? Very he, true. Hebrews mm-hmm. chapter 8 tells us that God told Moses, build it after the pattern that I'm showing you. It had to be exact. Now, the reason it had to be exact was because everything in the sanctuary, including the Ark of the Covenant, was very representative of a reality in heaven, and it all pointed forward to very specific aspects of Messiah's ministry for the sinful human race. So, yeah, it was very specific, but what does Von Daniken do with that? Oh, it's very specific. It must be high alien technology. That's right. what he said. So here, here, listen to what he said. I've got okay. it here. Don't go out and buy the book. Don't waste the money. Don't support the UFO industry. But uh, let's have reading theater here at Disclosure. Okay, share with us. Okay, here, here's what he said. If we reconstruct it, that's the Ark of the Covenant, today, according to the instructions handed down by Moses, an electric conductor of several hundred volts is produced. He says, see, it's electronics. The border and golden crown would have served to charge the condenser which was formed by the golden plates and a positive and negative conductor. If, in addition, one of the two cherubims on the mercy seat, those are the angels on top of the Ark of the Covenant, if one of the two cherubim on the mercy seat acted as a magnet, the loudspeaker, perhaps even a kind of set for communication between Moses and the spaceship. So the Ark of the Covenant. Now, (laughs) Now, the Bible does say in Exodus 25, God says to Moses, I will commune with you from between the cherubim. The presence of God in the Old Testament will come down into the tabernacle over the Ark of the Covenant, and God did speak to Moses from that position. But he says, oh, see, obviously it's a two-way radio with God the astronaut. It's it's mm. silly, but it went it went huge. Mm-hmm. What's interesting in that same passage, he's he's writing this. He says, without consulting Exodus, I remember the ark was surrounded by. Well, no kidding, Von Daniken, you didn't consult Exodus, <laughs> and you might have done that because it's it's not a radio. I mean, if this is a radio, you've got to wonder why would you keep the Ten Commandments inside a radio? It sure. doesn't make a lick of sense. It's not logical. And, no, and interestingly, no. it was written in the late '60s. If it was written now, I mean, yeah, how would he interpret now, it? Given that it's the late 60s, Von Daniken might have had some chemical help in, in getting his imagination going. That I just, could be I true. don't know that that's true. Please, Von Daniken supporters and Mr. Von Daniken, don't write. I was just <laughs> kidding. I don't know for sure that you were smoking weed when you wrote that, but it kind of looks like it to me. Well, Sean, I find interesting he says he didn't consult Exodus, but there was a story in Second Samuel chapter 6 that probably would have fit his theory quite nicely if he digested it. Maybe he did. Remember the story. David and his men are oh, transporting. Oh, they touched the ark. They touched the ark and one they of the 
man touches it and he dies. Right. Yeah. Well, the the ark is a symbol of God's throne. There's no question about it. Um, the the Bible says again, and we'll look at this coming up here in a, in a minute when we crack our Bibles open. But mm-hmm. it was a symbol of the throne of God, and sinful human beings were not to touch it, not even symbolically. And so, yeah, that that that's true. But mm-hmm. but it's a good. Now the other thing, the other thing besides the ark of the covenant that he got really excited about, and this is probably what inspired the opening for the project Blue Book TV series, mm-hmm. is Ezekiel's wheel within a wheel from Ezekiel chapter one, and because the wheel moves and it's round. Uh, Von Daniken suggests, ooh, it's got to be a flying saucer. It's round and it moves. And that's a bit of a leap. Yeah, it's a bit of a leap. And yeah. you know, that's the only similarity. that. But I got so excited at the age of, what, eight, that I, I'm, I'm a student at this Dutch Calvinist Bible school. Okay. And I just read Chariots of the Gods, and my parents didn't know I was reading it. And I went to show and tell, and I stood up in class and said, I have made the most amazing discovery. Uh-oh. I have discovered that the wheel within a wheel in Ezekiel chapter 1 was a flying saucer and that the eyes that are mentioned were landing lights. And I remember the teacher pulling me aside after show and tell, and I had to write lines about not doubting the Word of God. And I, I had to write them for hours on end, and, and they really drilled it. You don't do that with the Word of God. But at the age of eight, fa- so I was fascinated as a little kid. Interesting. Then yeah. I kind of grew up, although I know as my wife, you, you'd probably be able to point out places where I've never grown up. But that, that you know, I've, I've grown up and I forgot about it. Then I discover as an adult and as a preacher that a lot of people didn't grow up and they still believe that stuff, right? I'm driving late at night. I turn on the radio and there's Art Bell in the old days, George Norrie now with their flying saucer show. Um, and people are calling in and they mean it. They say, well, we believe this. And then I'm, I'm holding public meetings. I teach Bible prophecy in a public seminar. Mm-hmm. And I meet this guy. I go to his house, and and I think he's interested in Bible prophecy. I think he's about to give his heart to Christ. And I'll call him Michael. We'll just protect his identity. And we're having this nice conversation. And suddenly Michael leans forward, and he looks both ways like he's hoping no one else can hear what he's about to say. And he looks me in the eye, and he says, they're everywhere. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, there's got to be a hidden camera here somewhere. They're everywhere. What do you mean, Michael? He said, the lizard people, they're everywhere. He said, the lizard lizard people. I didn't know what, you know. Mm -hmm. What he meant were the reptilians. I'd never heard of this in my life, but there's this theory that there may be as many as 20 alien races living in, uh, among us right here on planet Earth and that the most powerful people in the world are actually reptiles in disguise. You that know, sounds the like presidents of the U.S. And, wow. Oh, something yeah. Sounds like something yeah. straight out of Hollywood's imagination. To well, be yeah, yeah, it, it does, yeah. but it's big. I, I thought, okay, Michael's the weird one whack job in this town that believes this. And then I discover millions of people believe this. Millions really? of people believe this. Hmm. And they tie it to the Illuminati and they've tied it to hold the old conspiracy theories. So that's Michael. Then I meet Evelyn. Evelyn lives in Toronto, and here's where it's going to come full circle. Okay. Uh, Evelyn lives on a sailboat. She's right next to the nuclear power plant, um, which may or may not be a coincidence. I don't know. Maybe the magnetic fields off the power plant did something to Evelyn. I don't know. But I'm sitting on the deck of her boat. She's also coming to a prophecy seminar. Um, and we're visiting, and and finally, she she I guess she trusts me. Mm-hmm. And she leans over on the deck of that boat, and she says, At night, flying saucers come down over my boat, and I can see the inhabitants of those saucers. I can see that there are alien beings in there, and they watch me. Mm-hmm. And I'm about to say something. I'm not sure what to say. Mm-hmm. And she pipes up. She said, That's what makes me interested in Bible prophecy. It, it, you can find this in the Bible. I said, You can find it in the Bible, flying saucers? She said, Yes, Ezekiel chapter 1, the wheel within the wheel. Wow. And and so I looked past her inside the boat, and I saw a, a bookshelf in there. And guess what was on the bookshelf? Yeah, Chariots of the Chariots Gods. Chariots of the Gods. Yeah, Eric von Daniken. Uh-huh. So 
people here, here's what it comes down to the phenomenon's big lots of people are interested they love the subject and there is no question that there are people out there and i want to say this carefully mm-hmm. but there are people out there who are seeing something and some of them I laugh. I say, okay, somebody ate too much pizza last night before they went to bed. But there are other cases where something did happen. Something is going on. And I think before we're done, we might explore what it actually is. Yeah, I think we, I think we should. You can't get around it. You know, in Phoenix, back in the 1990s, people, the whole city saw a group of lights slowly move over the city. And they all saw it. And you can see it, too, if you look it up on YouTube. People are seeing something. But is that Bible prophecy? It is Ezekiel chapter 1. No, it's not. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not. Well, Sean, this this vision described in Ezekiel chapter 1, it's very right. detailed. Right. What can we make of it? Um, I assume that you talked to Evelyn about yeah, this. I did. That, I you, did. that you did not confirm that it was a flying saucer. No, no. I First I told her, look, I know you saw something, and she was relieved I was the first person. I said, I, I'm pretty sure you saw something. But the question is, is that what's in Ezekiel chapter 1? Why don't we look at it, right? Mm-hmm. And here, here's what it comes down to. Lots of people, Project Blue Book producers, Eric Van Daniken, everybody goes to Ezekiel 1, sees the wheel within the wheel, says, aha, ancient aliens, flying saucer. And I guess that's an easy conclusion to jump to if all you read is a few verses. But the reason that people fall for that is that we've lost the ability to read Scripture responsibly. We've become biblically illiterate in our generation. 150 years ago, our Christian ancestors could open a book like Revelation or Daniel or Ezekiel. They could read it and look up at you and tell you exactly what it means because they were conversant in the language of the day. If you want to understand Ezekiel, and in the back half of the show, I'll give you a Bible study if you want. I'll, I'll just, we'll open Ezekiel chapter Let's 1. Let's do that. But if you want to understand it, you have to read the whole book. You've got to read the whole book of Ezekiel. It's hard work. Then you've got to read the whole Bible. You've got to go back in time and examine the way that Ezekiel would have read that and his audience would have read it. What did they understand by the language? And it takes a lot of work. Mm-hmm. You've got no choice but to read the whole Bible if you want to understand Bible prophecy. It's like doing jigsaw puzzles, right? You you want to you don't want to look at one or two pieces in a 5000 piece puzzle. You want to put all the pieces together before you jump to any conclusions. And honestly in Ezekiel 1, if you're going to do wheel within a wheel as a flying saucer, you've got one piece of a 5000 piece jigsaw puzzle. Your job as a Bible student is to read the whole Bible. And mm-hmm. people complain, the whole Bible. Yeah, the whole Bible. You have to read. There's a reason that all these books are bound in one volume. Absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. They're because they're all meant to go together. And so the principles in Isaiah chapter 28, uh, where God talks about how he spoke to the children of Israel. He said, I will speak to them with a stammering tongue, he says in another verse. But in verse 10, he says, but precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Now, you have to extrapolate the principle out of that verse. But when you do, God is saying, pay attention to everything I say, collect it all, step back and look at the big picture. Mm -hmm. That was the approach of a Baptist preacher who was famous in the 19th century. His name was William Miller. And he always told himself, I'm only going to read the Bible as far as I understand. It. And if I find something I can't understand, I'll look through the rest of the Bible for the same concept and let the Bible define its own terms. That's a great practice. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. And it is. if you do that with Ezekiel, which we'll do on today's show, 
uh, it begins to open up and you begin to see what it is and what it is not. So, Ezekiel 1. Um, let's do it. I know that you're going to make me take a break, aren't I you? I am, but um, why don't we why don't you well, just get, get started. us started Get started, and I, here's what's going to happen, because if I'm not mistaken, we're going off the air in, a, in some markets here in a couple of minutes, but you can come to voiceofprophecy.com and get the whole Bible study. That's Absolutely. Right. Yeah, you want to get this. But let's start in Ezekiel 1, and we'll just tease it for a minute here. Ezekiel 1, verse 1. If you have a Bible at home, grab it and open it up and follow along. All right, Ezekiel 1. Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, I was among the who? Captives. The captives by the river Kibar, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. Right? So is this a flying saucer? What does Ezekiel say it is? He says it's a vision of God. This is not the Anunnaki. This is not the Greys. This is not, if we want to use the 50s lingo, it's not little green men from Mars. He says this is a vision from God. That's what Ezekiel says the subject is, and we don't have the liberty of changing the subject and saying, no, 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 no. It's not a vision of God. It's a vision of a flying saucer. Uh, And there's no question what the historical setting is. He's a captive. This is the Babylonian captivity. The temple in Jerusalem is in ruins. Nebuchadnezzar has sacked the city. The Jews Jews are in captivity. They're reeling. Kibar's up in northern Mesopotamia. They're all prisoners. They're captives. They're reeling. We don't understand it, and their whole world is in chaos. And that's the context. It's a vision of God in a world of chaos. All right. Well, Sean, we are at the bottom of the program. In some markets, as you said, we are going to go off the air now. And we have just started into our Bible study of Ezekiel chapter 1. There are so many more questions I want to ask you. Um, But we are going to have to continue the discussion after this little break. Now, for you listening, if your station is carrying the full program, just stay tuned. We will be right back. But if after this break we lose you, well, connect with us online. Join us at VOP.com and listen to the rest of this program right there on our website. Do a quick search for Aliens in the Bible. That's the name of today's program. And you can keep listening. Well, we want to hear from you. We want your feedback. So stay connected with us and stay listening either here or on our website. We will be right back. Are you searching for answers to life's toughest questions like, where is God when we suffer? Can I find real happiness? Or is there any hope for our chaotic world? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers and guides like, Does My Life Really Matter to God? and A Second Chance at Life. You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. the second half of today's episode of Disclosure, a brand new program from The Voice of Prophecy. I'm Jean Boonstra, and I'm the co-host of this program, and today I have a special guest in the studio. He is usually on the other side of the studio desk, dishing out the tough questions, but today... 
I get to deliver them to him, Sean, my husband and our regular host is our guest. Welcome back, Sean. Hey. It's been a long time since, you know, the beginning of the break. The beginning of the break, right. Well, listen, we've been having arguably right. a little bit of a different discussion today. Right. But we've it's been an important ta- one. It, it is. It is. We've been talking about aliens and are they in the Bible? Right. There's a lot of interest in, in current um, culture and in entertainment with this idea of the alien phenomenon. And we just started to look at Ezekiel right. chapter 1. Take us this back is, there. This is, this is the big one. Everybody always comes back to, if they want to prove UFOs from the Bible, and it's interesting to me that everybody seems to need to reconcile the phenomenon with the Bible. Mm-hmm. They always come back to Ezekiel chapter 1 because of the wheel within the wheel and the strange thing that Ezekiel sees. And before the break, we looked at the context. Ezekiel tells us right out of the gate, this is a vision of God, and he's a captive by the river Kibar up in northern Mesopotamia. Mm-hmm. The Jews' world is in disarray. It's chaotic, and suddenly God gives a vision, as he often does when the world seems to be in chaos. That's the context. We're going to pick it up now in Ezekiel 1 and verse 4. Here's the vision. It says, Then I looked, and behold, a whirlwind. That, that's a big symbol that shows up in, in comparable passages elsewhere. A whirlwind was coming out of the north. Now, the north is the direction the Chaldeans came from. Sure. Jeremiah predicted Nebuchadnezzar is going to come from the north. Well, it's often where their trouble came, right. isn't and, it? Yeah. Trouble yeah. always comes from the north mm-hmm. in Scripture because they had to go up over the top through Assyria and come back down. It says, a whirlwind coming out of the north, a great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself. Now, here's a fire that's not consuming any combustibles. It's engulfing itself. Let me ask you this question. Where else in the Bible do you see a strange fire that doesn't consume what it's burning, but it's just burning and burning and burning without consuming what it appears over? Well, the the first thing that jumps to mind is Moses and the burning bush. Yeah, it's the burning bush. And in that case, it's very clear what that burning bush was. Here's this strange fire engulfing itself. It's the burning bush. Fire in the Bible is a potent symbol for the presence of God. So you have the burning bush. Fire is the presence of God. When God travels with the Israelites across the desert, it's a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire Fire. by night. And that's the presence of God that would come down and take up residence over the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, When God descended on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, it says, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke and the Lord descended on the mountain in fire. What's interesting, that was the original day of Pentecost as they came out of Egypt. And on the next big day of Pentecost mentioned in the Bible, again, you've got tongues of fire on the heads of the disciples. The presence of the Holy Spirit. Our God shall come, Psalm 50, not keep silent. A fire will devour. Fire is a symbol in Bible prophecy for the very presence of God. He's a consuming fire. It is not the exhaust from a rocket. It is not the exhaust from a spaceship. That's how Von Daniken and others have described it in the past. But he's seeing the presence of God. Now, that's important. Now, I wish we had time. I wish we had a five-hour program today because this chapter could keep us busy for five hours handily. It's huge. There's a lot here. But Mm -hmm. let's let's touch on some highlights. Let's go to Ezekiel 1, verse 5. Sees this fire, this storm. Also from within it came the likeness of four what? Living creatures. Four living creatures. This is huge. This was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Each had four faces. One had four wings. Okay, so four faces and four wings. Right. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's four living creatures. Now you have to read the rest of the Bible. If you go over to Revelation 4 and 5, you begin to notice that vision has a lot of similarities to this one. In Revelation 4 and chapter 5, um, 
John is in vision, and he's seeing the throne room of God. It tells us exactly what that context is, and he also sees four living creatures. So okay. what we need to do is keep a finger in Ezekiel chapter 1 and go over to Revelation chapter 4 for a moment. Okay. Right? And, and here comes the context. Revelation 4, verse 2. This is John's vision now. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne sat in heaven, and one sat on the throne. What's this a vision of? So we're in the throne, throne room of God. Right, throne yeah. room of God. Mm-hmm. He who sat there was like jasper and sardius stone and, and, and so on. Precious stones always show up in, conje- in connection with God's throne. Mm-hmm. Verse 5. From the throne proceeded lightnings, and that shows up in the in the book of Ezekiel, thunderings and voices, seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne. It's all the same symbols, fire. And lightning comes from the living creatures in Ezekiel 1 as well, in verse 14, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Right Now verse 6. Before the throne there was a sea of glass-like crystal, and in the midst of the throne, here's the subject, the throne of God, and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. How many living creatures? Four, just like in Ezekiel. Yeah, it's just Mm -hmm. like Ezekiel's vision. Verse 7, here's where it gets fascinating. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had the face of a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. So what are the four faces? A lion, a calf, a man, and an an eagle. eagle. Mm -hmm. Then it says they have six wings, and they sing the song, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. If you go to Isaiah 6, you find something called seraphim that have six wings, and they're also singing a very similar song. Seraphim, by the way, the word just means the burning ones, the shining ones, and fire being a presence of God yet again. So, if you take Revelation 4, it's also got the four living creatures, the lion, the calf, the man, and the eagle. Mm -hmm. Take that, and it's clearly the throne room of God. Go back to Ezekiel 1 now. Right, okay. And let's take a look at, oh, verse 10. Right? Well, what were the four creatures okay. in over in Revelation chapter 4? A lion, a calf, a man, and an eagle. Now right. listen to this. He's describing the four creatures in Ezekiel 1. Okay. Verse 10. As for the likeness of their faces, each had the face of a man. Mm-hmm. Each of the four had the face of a lion on the right side. That's interesting. It's a study in itself as to why it'd be on the right side. Okay. Each of the four had the face of an ox on the left side, and each of the four had the face of an eagle. These four living creatures have the same faces. The same as in Revelation. Right. That's fascinating. So there's clearly a parallel between the vision of God's throne room in Revelation 4 and 5 and the vision of the whirlwind and the wheel within the wheel in Ezekiel chapter 1. Mm-hmm. So the face is the man, the lion, the right. ox or the calf, and the eagle. So the parallels are really, really obvious. What are we supposed to make out of all of this symbolism? Well, this is where it gets really interesting. If we were to stop here and not read the rest of the Bible, you could join the likes of Eric Von Daniken and the makers of Project Blue Book and speculate, right? Sure. And that's what they did. They read the next few verses, and they see the wheel within the wheel. But let's take a look at it. Okay. And, and Evelyn, who thought that the wheel within the wheel was a flying saucer, she was doing the same thing, just reading Ezekiel 1, not reading the rest of the Bible. As I looked at the living creatures, this is Ezekiel one fifteen. Okay. Behold, a wheel was on the earth beside each living creature with its four faces. Um, and then it says in verse 16, there was a wheel in the middle of a wheel and so on. And people stop there. Ooh, flying saucer. It's round. It's moving. It's got to be a flying saucer. It's got weird-looking living creatures. They're aliens, right? Except if you read the whole Bible, it's obvious they're not, right? Revelation 4 and 5, right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If Eric Van Daniken had bothered to finish reading it, maybe he did and he was just being dishonest. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. If he would have read Ezekiel 10, 
He would have seen Ezekiel's description of those living creatures. He describes the same wheels and the same living creatures, and then he calls them cherubim. Interesting. Ezekiel chapter 10, yeah. Well, Sean, let's talk about cherubim, these angels, because I think many times when we hear that that name, people think of cherubs, you know, the cute little baby-faced, chubby-cheeked Victorian uh, Christmas cards. Talk about what cherubim were. Yeah, that is not a biblical cherub at all. Right. Uh, The word cherub comes from, if you break it down, Dr. Leslie Harding did this for me years ago when he was still alive. He said it breaks down to kerab, and it, it literally means if you go all the way to the etymological roots, uh, one who was like the Father. And a cherub in the Bible was an angel who held the position right beside the throne of God. That's why there were cherubs on top of the Ark of the Covenant. The, the, the Ark of the Covenant was a symbol of God's throne, mm-hmm. and God would commune with Moses from between the cherubs on top of the Ark of the Covenant. John in uh, Revelation chapter 11 sees the Ark of the Covenant in heaven. It's a clear connection. It was a symbol of God's throne. Mm -hmm. And when John sees it in Revelation 11, it has the same symbols. Lightnings, noises, thunders, and an earthquake. All through the Bible, God is the one who dwells between the cherubim. Uh, Psalm 80, uh, you who dwell between the cherubim. Psalm 99, Isaiah 37. Um, Ezekiel uh, also says in chapter 28 that Lucifer, before he fell, was an anointed cherub who covers. So it was a very important position. It's a highly exalted angelic position. Right. And Lucifer once held it. It's right next to the throne of God. If you read that description in Ezekiel 28, he was on the holy mountain of God in the midst of fiery stones. There's the fire again. Mm -hmm. Lucifer was a covering cherub. Of course, it's implied that he's no longer a covering cherub. That's over. So apparently he lost the job. And I suspect that it may be more of a job description than a species of angel, but that would be probably another topic for another day. So they're cherubs. That's what Ezekiel says. They're cherubs in chapter 10 with four faces. Okay. So that that explains that part of it. Now, these majestic beings do have four faces. It's it's almost like... um, a cube, almost face a face on every side. There's the man, the lion, the ox, or the cat, right. and the eagle. Now I've heard different theories about this. Um, one theory was that these are the primary qualities of Messiah, as sure. highlighted in the Gospels. Early, early church fathers like Irenaeus pointed that out. They okay. said there are four yeah. Gospels, and you'll find uh, the characteristics of a lion in one and an ox mm-hmm. in another. Mm-hmm. And there is something mm-hmm. to that, mm-hmm. but it, it goes deeper. Can we deeper. know for sure? Can we know for sure what these sure. indicate? Sure, we can. And I think okay. the theory about the four Gospels is because a cherub stands next to the throne of God, and he's a strong one, his job is to herald the good news about God or share God with the universe in part. And so the four Gospels do that. They do exactly that, share Jesus. And people have noticed that um, one Gospel features Jesus' lion-like, lion of the tribe of Judah qualities. Another one, Jesus, the gospel of Mark is Jesus toiling patiently like a faithful ox and and, and so on. But it runs deeper. If you go back to the camp of Israel, Numbers chapter 2, this is where it gets really, really interesting. You've got the sanctuary or the tabernacle in the middle of the camp. So everybody in your imaginations look at a field. The tabernacle's in the middle of the camp. The Levites are camped around that in a circle. And then beyond that, you have three of the tribes of Israel camped on each side of that at the four compass points. Mm-hmm. So to the east, you've got Judah, and you've got Issachar and Zebulun. And Judah's the lead tribe there, and it flew a flag, it says a number two, or a standard, and the flag was a lion. We okay, know that the from, lion of Judah. Yeah, right. the lion of Judah. Right. Comparing that to, like, Genesis 49 and others. And historically, we know from rabbinic literature and so on that Judah flew a lion. Okay. On the south, you had Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. Reuben is the lead tribe, and they flew a flag with a man on it. Hmm. On the west, you had Ephraim, 
Manasseh and Benjamin. And they flew the flag of Ephraim. That's the lead tribe. And their motto on their flag, their logo was an ox. Mm -hmm. To the north, you had Dan. They're the apostate tribe. They're removed from the list of tribes in the book of Revelation because they rebelled. But Dan is there with Asher and Naphtali. Dan was the lead tribe, and their their symbol was an eagle. So here you've got human beings camped all around God's throne. The Ark of the Covenant is in the middle of the camp, and you've got the lion, the man, the ox, and the eagle. And now they're not angels, they're human beings, and they have this job description. Go be a light to the Gentiles. Go share what you know about me from this sanctuary and its services and my character. Share it with the world. So it's like they've been given a job like the cherubim. It's almost like the human beings around the camp are human cherubim. So that is a big, big deal. Now what's interesting, when you go back to the living creatures in Revelation 4 and 5, I know we have to take a break, but those cherubim with the same four faces say, uh, Revelation 5, verse 9, you have redeemed us to God by your blood. These aren't angels. They're Mm. human beings who have been redeemed, and now they have the job of sharing the goodness of God with the universe. Oh, it's fascinating. Yeah, it is. You know, Sean, we've just started to to really get into this vision, this symbolic vision in Ezekiel. There are so many more questions I want to ask you, and we really want to dig more deeply into this. I know, but it's time for one of those commercial breaks, right? We have to take one of those breaks, and we know that you are going to be interested in what we have to share with you just now during this break. Something that Voice of Prophecy has to offer if you want to dig deeper into His Word and find answers to some of the big questions you have in life, then listen to what we have to share with you. In just a few minutes, I will be right back with our guest today, Sean Boonstra. Stay with us. Born under the cloud of illegitimacy, his real father, far more powerful than anyone could imagine, the unlikely king who ignited a global movement, the world forever changed, his legacy, an empire reaching across centuries, his name, Constantine, shadow empire, changing the way you think, the way you live, and even the way you believe, war, power, Influence, a battle for your mind in the name of religious freedom. A legendary story, a warning for today. Shadow Empire, starting April 28th. Exclusive footage from the land where it all started. Conspiracy, secrecy, your future. ShadowEmpire.com. Find a location near you. Shadow Empire, it's not what you've been told. Hey kids, have you ever had questions like, is there anything or anyone out there other than humans? And maybe you're wondering, where did the human race come from? To get answers to tough questions like this that most adults don't even know the answers to, try the Kids' Own Bible Lessons. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today. Welcome back to Disclosure, a brand new program brought to you by the Voice of Prophecy. I'm Jean Boonstra. I'm the co-host of the program. Today, I am here with our host, Sean Boonstra. Sean, we've been looking at Ezekiel. We've been talking about some really fascinating things. And just before the break, we discovered in the Bible that these winged creatures described in Ezekiel, they're many-faced, they are cherubim. That's right. That's what it says. And in the case of Ezekiel here, uh, they 
are heavenly beings. So yeah, tell us, not what, space aliens. They're heavenly. They're they're right. cherubim. It's very clear from. You, I'd encourage everybody go back and read Ezekiel ten and read Revelation four and five. And that's exactly what I did with Evelyn on that sailboat all those years ago. Okay. Uh, instead of saying no, you're wrong. You're nuts. I, I said, look. You did see something. I'm convinced she did. I'm convinced some people see some things. It's just not It's not biblical. It's not uh, aliens from another world, and that would be another topic for another day, perhaps. But it, when you get to Ezekiel 1, you can't say that's a flying saucer. You can't. The language is so similar with the other visions of God's throne room, there's no mistaking it. And she's actually the one who came to the conclusion. As we're sitting there studying, she looks ahead. Okay. I love it when people run ahead. Um, And she looks toward the end of Ezekiel chapter 1, and in verse 26, she says, Oh, look, 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 look. Above the firmament over their heads was the likeness of a throne. This is God's throne. This isn't a flying star. She she came to the conclusion herself. Mm -hmm. If you read the whole thing, it's it's really obvious. Mm -hmm. This is religious language. Well, one of my favorite... um, ways of marrying these two visions is in Ezekiel that it, I think it's later in verse 28 it says there's an appearance of a rainbow. Right. And of and course Revelation 4.3 describes yeah. a rainbow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's religious symbolism. Okay, That's no flying it, saucers. There are no flying saucers anywhere in the Bible. Or, I mean, go ahead, write your letters to me, uh, submit them and we'll have another show on it, but there are no there are no aliens. Any reputable Bible scholar will tell you Ezekiel saw religious symbolism. This is the throne room of God and it uses sanctuary language language to describe it and language from the camp of Israel. Okay, Sean, but what about the wheels? Yeah, the wheels. They're we have to come back to the wheels. Those wheels are described in detail, and they're yeah. not ordinary wheels. No, they're not ordinary wheels. And mm-hmm. look, take a look at the scene in Ezekiel chapter 1 really carefully. It's a storm. What are storms? They're out of your control, right? Mm-hmm. A storm is out of your control. We all batten down the hatches and ride out a storm. It's a storm that comes from the north. It's very confusing. Here's fire enfolding on itself and wheels within wheels. And this happens when they're in captivity. Israel is having trouble understanding how in the world did a pagan king just conquer the city of Jerusalem? How did Nebuchadnezzar, of all people, sack the temple, take the temple furniture? Daniel 1 says he took all the temple furniture and stuck it in the house of his pagan god back in in Babylon. Mm -hmm. So they're confused. And Ezekiel's among the captives, and he wants to understand how can this be? Well, sure, family members have been torn apart from each other. It would have been a completely chaotic situation. The world's in chaos. And every time the world's in chaos, God sends something to reassure his people, and that's what it is. He looks at the confusion, and then high above it all, he sees the throne of God, and he sees somebody's guiding this. And the whole storm comes out of the north. Mm -hmm. When you read Nebuchadnezzar's uh, testimony in Daniel chapter 4, God tells him, I gave you this kingdom, I raised you up, I let you conquer. God was steering human history. Um, But then, of course, the question is, why is the wheel the symbol of that? Right. Right. There's a curious statement over in the book of James, Um, and James is talking about how dangerous the tongue is. Preachers love to preach on this one. Rain in your gossip. Don't tell tales and call names. But listen to this. James describes the um, danger of the tongue in James chapter 3 and verse 6. It says, and the tongue is a fire. Now, there's fire again, not the presence of God, but this is the fire that human beings can cause in someone else's life by not watching their tongues. A world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. And here it is, James 3, verse 6. And the tongue sets on fire the course of nature. Now, if you have an old King James Version that still has the marginal notes, look at the margins there. Otherwise, I'll just tell you what the original word for course is trochos. And it literally means wheel. Hmm. 
This is old language. It talks about the wheel of nature. It was translated into our language as the course of nature. A wheel in biblical thought was a symbol for a course. You okay. know, you put wheels on the cart and you go down the road and you're headed somewhere. When a wheel shows up in the vision, God is saying, I have a course. Now, if you read Daniel, it's obvious. They went into Babylonian captivity, then they're under Persian rule, then they were under Greek rule, under Roman rule, and then the divided Roman Empire, and Mm -hmm. then they never again have their own throne until Jesus returns the second time. The vision in Ezekiel chapter 1 is God saying, look, I have a plan. I know it doesn't make sense to you. I'm still in control. I'm driving the storm. I'm steering the storm. It's not a flying saucer. This is God saying, I am in In control. control. And these wheels, they kind of sound like they're intersecting. And I imagine they're... that's significant. You right. know, God doesn't move in one direction. God's in charge of all of it. The right. many layers yeah. of what's yeah. happening he's in pushing, our lives. He's steering them. They're clearly steered yeah. as you read it. It's the same thing that happens in Revelation. Where is John when he gets that vision of God's throne room? He is on an island. They've tried to kill him. They failed to kill him. He's in he's in captivity, so to speak. He's on a prisoner island. And God shows him his throne room and says, I've got a plan for the Christian church and lays out the future. Mm-hmm. It's the same kind mm-hmm. of thing. Okay, I think we've we've solved the wheels answer, the wheels question. Now, there's something else, Sean, that I often hear people ask about in the Bible when we talk about aliens, and that's in Genesis 6-4. It talks about the giants in the Bible, the sons of God having children with the daughters yes. of men. Some people, some people look at that and say, ooh, space aliens or demons had, well, how do we put this in a family show? They had relations with the daughters of that men. And, <laughs> look, that, that's read, it's, it's a good case of eisegesis. They're reading into the text something that just isn't there. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you read the whole book of Genesis, you see there's two kinds of people after the fall. The ones who side with the serpent. Uh, who deceived, and like that would be like Cain, or the ones who are waiting for Messiah to come, that's Abel. Okay. The sons of God is a description in the Old Testament for people living by faith, waiting for Messiah to come. The daughters of men are the ones who are being self-governed, they're in rebellion against God. And what it's describing is a forbidden intermarriage of believers and non-believers, and non-believers. right? Oh, and it says okay. that their offspring were giants, the Nephilim, and people say, ooh, those must be space aliens, the Nephilim. No, 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 no. If you read Genesis chapter 6, it says they were mighty men and their wickedness was great. It's not talking about their size, their physical size. It's talking about their arrogance and their ego. That's what's gigantic. Ah. The, the word is gibor. It means petulant. It says Nimrod was a mighty hunter, and he's the founder of Babylon. It, the sin wasn't the size of the city. The sin was the pride of the city. Okay. And so the giants weren't physically tall, even though there were some tall people. You know, Goliath was over eight feet, and we've had the odd person like sure. Robert Wadlow. I think he got up to eight foot eleven in our day and age. But this is not talking about space aliens. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like I like that explanation of the the marrying of believers with non-believers. So, Sean, I have to ask you, does the Bible ever talk about life on other planets? Well, that would be a topic for another day. We don't have time to talk. Maybe we should come back to that one. It only hints at it. It doesn't really talk about it. Um, it, it just it suggests that there are lots of worlds in this universe and that God did not create any of the worlds in vain. He didn't create this world in vain. And so, and it talks about people coming, the sons of God coming in Job chapter 1 to a council, and he has to ask Satan, where did you come from? 
there are indica- there's there's lots of, there's no direct statement. It's not hard to imagine that a creator God created a lot of worlds. It says in Hebrews one that Jesus created the worlds. Mm-hmm. So it's you know you can come to the conclusion that there's probably other life out there somewhere that God has created, but I doubt they're visiting us in flying saucers. Right. Good answer. Well, Sean, I want to circle back now as we're coming towards the bottom of the program, the end of the program. You, we talked about people actually seeing things. So some people do see things. What are they yeah, seeing? There, I, I have no doubt that people see things. And there are several possibilities, and we can't do it justice in five minutes. But here are a few things to bear in mind. Um, Operation Paperclip is one thing. The U.S. government ran an operation from the 1940s onward. After World War II, they realized that a lot of these German scientists were way ahead of them in the space race, developing missiles for war and so on. And they were actually, if you, you can go and see this stuff, they were developing blueprints for the next thing past airplanes, and they were experimenting with designs on saucer-shaped aircraft. So Operation Paperclip is an American government uh, operation to bring these scientists over to America to help with our space program. And so they imported en masse, and they were experimenting with all sorts of stuff. Uh, a lot of them were rocket scientists. Werner von Braun, of course, famous you know German rocket scientist. I'm not sure if he came in under Operation Paperclip. What's interesting, suddenly in the 1940s after World War II, we have Roswell. People mm-hmm. see something. We see flying saucers in the sky, things we've never seen before. In the 1970s, when I'm a kid, people are seeing triangle-shaped um, things in the sky, delta-shaped. They're no longer round, they're triangle-shaped. Well, wouldn't you know it, ten years later, there are stealth aircraft being released by the U.S. Air Force. And Seems as like you it's pointed not out, a coincidence. Yeah. And, yeah. and there was an Air Force base near Roswell. There's an Air Force sure. base near a lot of these. So is it possible that some of what we're seeing is military technology that they're experimenting on? I think that might account for some of it, right? Um, now, that doesn't explain the abductions, and that's True. probably another topic <laughs> for another day. But there are a couple of curious theories. One of them is, hey, you know, these people are caught up into an uncomfortable place. They're suddenly under bright lights, and they're being examined and prodded. And there's been some suggestion that people are actually remembering their own birth, which is kind of disgusting. But, but huh. uh, you know, you, you, you're suddenly whisked into a bright, cold environment, and people, strange-looking people are prodding you. That's probably a little silly. Terry Matheson up in... Um, is it University of Regina or Saskatchewan? He comes up with a better explanation. He says there's so many... He says, I think people are covering up memories of ritual or sexual abuse. And that's a possibility. Mm. If you look like a guy at a guy like Whitley Strieber, who is sort of the guru of flying saucer stuff in the 1990s and abduction experiences, he would talk... And I want to be careful because this is a family program. He would talk about having... Um, some physical trauma to his body in some very unfortunate places after his so-called abduction. So there's a good deal of evidence to suggest that um, people are remembering traumatic things and, and covering it up somehow. But there's another possibility, and what's interesting to me is how many of these abduction experiences have religious language attached to them. Interesting. Right. In the 19th century, spiritualism and seances were the big deal. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting to me is that the aliens of the 20th century had the same messages as the spirits of the 19th century. They always seem to need to talk about Jesus for some reason. They always Mm -hmm. come back to who Jesus is and they explain him away. He's not really divine. He's an ascended master, a cosmic master from another world and, and so on. If you read Whitley Strieber's books, and I'm not recommending them, but like Communion and so on, it's fascinating to me that every time he sees the aliens, or many times, he's practicing occult rituals, astral projection, and he's dabbling in the occult, and then he sees an alien. Well, guess what? You know, when they dabbled with the occult in the 19th century, they saw a ghost. 
Um, and so there's a good possibility that some of the sightings and some of the experiences people have is just good old-fashioned spiritualism dressed up for the high-tech age, because we're not going to believe the seance anymore, so now let's put them in a flying saucer and say they're from another world. So there's all kinds of possibilities. But biblically, and that'd be a topic for another day, if God does have life in other worlds, and there's enough evidence in the Bible to suggest it's a distinct possibility, mm-hmm. would those unfallen worlds, let's say, come visit us and torment us and abduct us? I doubt it. It doesn't fit I, the I doubt of God. It. It, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't fit it. What's happening with people has so much spiritual language. It's so religious in its tone. I suspect there's some um, last. You know, the Bible talks in the Book of Revelation about last day deception, spirits going out and deceiving the whole world. There's all kinds of possibilities. I think about the last possibility is little green men from Mars. <laughs> well, that's a good way to wrap up our program today, Sean. Um, we've been having a lot of fun here in the studio discussing something, and I've learned a lot about a topic that I never would have thought lent itself to a Bible study, but it did. We hope that you've enjoyed our discussion today, too, and that we've given you some food for thought. Now, if you miss part of the program, don't worry. You can listen to it in its entirety on our website, vop.com. Just click on the Watch and Listen page where you will find this episode. Aliens in the Bible is what it's called. Until next time, this has been Disclosure. I'm today's host, Jean Boonstra. May God bless you abundantly. Abundantly.